Today we're going to carry on in our series in the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. And if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be starting in verse 9. Last week we started by looking at this idea of like how not to pray. And then Jesus began to teach us how to pray. And Jesus has taught us not to pray in order to impress others, to pray, uh, but to pray for an audience of one. Don't pray thinking you have to get God's attention with many words, he'll tell us. That's not who you are. That's not what you have to do. That's not what your father is like. When you pray, you don't have to speak with many words. Stomp about, scream, hurt yourself to get his attention. You are his child, Jesus says. You already have his attention. And as a good father, he already knows that you have needs. He's that good. And then he's going to teach us how to pray. And so this is what he says in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father in heaven, we want to be a people who live this prayer, who experience it, don't just know it or understand it, but live into it. So this morning we ask that you'd help us to be able to do that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Jesus' teaching here, he is saying that the kind of prayer my father loves to answer is not complicated. It's not complicated. It's quite simple. It's a very short prayer. It's actually just 57 words. When you pray to my father, don't complicate it, he says, because it's not supposed to be. You can pray this prayer. Pray like this. You don't have to pray it verbatim, but you can. It's something that can be like a pattern, something that gives us handrails as we move along in our prayer. And Jesus will teach us these six petitions. The first three are about God. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. All about God on earth as it is in heaven. And the last three are about us. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Deliver us from evil. So simple and yet comprehensive all at once. They cover every facet of life. Provision, forgiveness for our failures and living out this new life rescue and deliverance from evil. It, co it covers our relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, the state of the world, and our own formation as his people. It covers God's purposes in the world. It covers his intention to restore all things. Together, this prayer captures the breadth of all that we face in life. But it's not supposed to be condensed into this little formula where we just expect God's blessing. If that's what you think, you're missing the point. When you pray, as Jesus teaches us in this prayer, prayer becomes the powerhouse 
for living the life that he calls you to, for becoming who God created and redeemed you to be. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that. Jesus has placed this, this prayer right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right in the middle of it. It's in the center of this whole teaching he has on living in light of the kingdom of God that has already come in him. Jesus has talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He has taught us about loving our enemies, about pursuing radical reconciliation, about faithfulness in marriage, about addressing the cause, not just the symptom, revealing what true righteousness looks like. Then he comes to the Lord's Prayer, and then you're going to have even more teaching after it, but right in the middle is this, the Lord's Prayer. That's intentional. It is the powerhouse for living the way of Jesus, as he is outlining here on the Sermon on the Mount. And the early church actually believed that the Lord's Prayer was so important for the life of every follower of Jesus. They believed that God kept the world from falling into chaos by the prayers of his people. That the Lord heard and acted to change the world as his people came to him and learned to pray. They even had their baptismal candidates memorize the Lord's Prayer and use it as the first words that they would utter when they came out of the baptism water. It mattered to them. This morning what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the very first petition. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what I want to do is just walk through a couple of the phrases. And so let's look at this first one. Who is our prayer directed to? Our Father in heaven. Jesus teaches us to address God as Father. And this is actually the defining characteristic of Jesus' prayer life. All of his prayers in the gospel, if you read through the four of them, begin with Father. There's only one time where Jesus doesn't refer to God as Father when he prays. And that is when he's on the cross and he prays a psalm, a psalm of lament. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time Jesus doesn't cry out, Father. In John 17, known as the high priestly prayer, he says, Father, the hour has come. In Matthew 11, in verse 25, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. In Matthew 26, he says, in the garden of Gethsemane, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. In Luke 23, we're told that Jesus' last words on the cross are, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So when Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray then like this, our Father, he is teaching us all to call God Father, just as he has experienced this relationship with his Father. For anyone who comes into contact with me, God is Father. My Father becomes your Father. When you and I pray our Father, we receive his love, we encounter his power, and we attempt to embody his will. And our Father is not just good, it's not simply a term for endearment or this intimacy that one will have, our Father has power. That's what in heaven is getting at, our Father in heaven. Our Father is the creator of all things. In him we live and move and have our being. We are his offspring. Our Father is the king over all things. He's sovereign over all. He has the authority over the seen and the unseen realms. Everything in the cosmos. And our Father is the rescuer, the redeemer, 
He goes to amazing lengths to go and rescue us and adopt us. His love endures forever and through all things. Our Father is good, and he's also powerful. But notice that Jesus says, our Father. He doesn't say, when you pray, pray my Father. It should just be you, the individual. He says, our Father. Our is vital because it cuts against this individualistic faith that attempts to take the parts that we like about Jesus and his way while rejecting the other parts about adopting life together with his people. This is the kind of faith that wants to avoid the messiness of humanity among his people when we become individualistic like this. And the reality is that many of us want to do this for like really good reasons. We've been wounded by people in community. And you're like, Jesus doesn't wound me. I can trust him. I don't know if I can trust some of his people, though. And so it's really easy for us to want to make our faith really individualistic. But Jesus' prayer here shows us that we can't. Our Father means that there's more than just us and Jesus. It's not how it goes. It's not just me and Jesus. And while we may be wounded in community, we also experience the healing that God wants for us in community. And it may not always be the exact same community, but it is among his people, no less. And so by praying our, we are acknowledging we don't follow Jesus on our own. That we're part of a great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us in history, faithfully following Jesus. We're acknowledging that we're not alone in this moment in our world. That there are other believers all around the world, in China, in Afghanistan, in India, in Colombia, in Ukraine, in Malawi, in Morocco, praying the same prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not simply a Western faith. Our, by praying our Father, we're acknowledging that we're not alone in this city, that there are other people who know Jesus and love Jesus. And they're coming to our Father and petitioning for him to do the very same things. Our recognizes that there are many who came before us and many around us who are part of the family of God. And Jesus is the common denominator. He is the one who unites us. He is the reason you and I can come and say, Father. It's because Jesus' relationship to God as son that we get to be called children of God. That we are sons and daughters through Jesus and in his relationship with the Father. Our Father in heaven. And then we come to the first petition, hallowed be your name. And I was thinking about how this phrase, we don't use this kind of language today. When you hear hallow, I don't know about you, but I think about Halloween. That's where my mind goes. Where else do you hear hallow? All hallows eve, maybe. Again, it's that same time of the year. Hallowed be your name. Name. What is that about? Name. What does Jesus mean when he uses the word name? Well, see, names were really important in the na ancient Near East. They weren't just labels. They often expressed something about a person's character, something about them. If you look throughout Scripture, you can see this. Abraham's name means father of many. And if you read his story in the book of Genesis, he lives up to this name. Samuel. Samuel's name in Hebrew sounds like God heard. And if you read his story in 1 Samuel, you see how his mother named him it because she asked God for him. God heard her, and, she, and he gave her Samuel. 
But more than that, as he lives out his life, Samuel is one who hears from God and brings Israel to God in prayer. And God hears Samuel's prayers. Moses sounds like the Hebrew for draw out. And if you read his story in Exodus, you discover Pharaoh's daughter draws him out of the water and adopted him as her own. And she says that she names him Moses because she drew him out there of the water. And later on, God will use Moses to draw Israel out of captivity in Egypt. When you talk about someone's name in the sense, you were talking about their character, their personality, their reputation, something about who they were that gives you like a snapshot. It doesn't give you everything, but it gives you enough to know about them. Something essential about who they are. And so in this sense, to know someone's name was to know them, including God. To know God's name was to know him, which is why when God appears to Moses in Exodus 3, and Moses says, what is your name? God tells him, but he also tells him more than just his name. In Exodus 3, God says his name is, I am who I am. This is often rendered Yahweh. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, God says. And he tells him, I keep my covenant, my promises with my people. Before that, he said, I have seen the misery of my people enslaved in Egypt. I have heard their cries because of their oppressors, and I care about their suffering. And so I have come down. See, God gives Moses his name, but he also tells him who he is what he's like, what he's about. I see, I hear, I care. So I've come down to rescue my people out of this land and bring them into a good and spacious land. So go tell Pharaoh this. And Moses is afraid, and God says, like, I will be with you. When God gives Moses his name, he also gives him himself and makes known his character. He's the God who he's, hears, sees, and cares. And so to know God's name is to know something essential about who God is, his character, his personality, his reputation. God's name reveals who he is and what he's like. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your reputation, your nature, your personality on earth as it is in heaven. But what about this word hallowed? What does that mean? Hallowed be your name. The Greek word is hagiazain. And it's to hallow or to sanctify. And it's the same word that gets translated as sanctify in other parts of the Bible. One example of this is in John chapter 17, in verses 17 and 19. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. In verse 19, For them I sanctify myself, that they too, may, too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified and hallow are coming from the same word. They're just translated differently. And so another way to translate this prayer is, may your name be sanctified. Sanctify means to make holy, which is really interesting if you think about because Jesus is saying, when you pray, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, sanctify, may your name be sanctified. But if you know anything about our faith, we believe that God is holy already. So what is Jesus doing here telling us to pray? May your name be made holy. May your name be sanctified. 
His name is already holy. In this first petition, it's actually about God's name being treated as holy. Father, may your reputation, your personality, your character, may your nature be treated as holy, as set apart, as precious, more precious than any other thing. So how can God's name be treated as holy, as precious beyond all things if God isn't known? He can't. God must be known in order for his name to be sanctified. This means you are asking for his name to be treated as holy and for God to make himself known. Not simply known as if, like, I know about him, or maybe seen from a distance, but you personally know him. This is asking God to make himself real. That's how Daryl Johnson puts it. I found that really helpful. You're asking God to make himself real. Hallow, then, doesn't simply mean to be made holy, to be treated as holy. When you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you're asking God to unveil his majesty. Father, make yourself completely known to every creature, great and small. Make known to the world just how awesome, merciful, gracious, kind, holy, just, pure, tender you are so that all of creation may cry out, holy. Be made known on earth like you already are in heaven. Be made, no, be made real on earth like you already are in heaven, so that you may be glorified by all of creation. I think we can understand then why Jesus teaches us to pray this. This is not something we can do on our own. We can't reveal God on our own. God wants to use us and can use us to make himself known through our words, through our actions. But God actually wants to make himself known in our world. This petition isn't simply a request. It's not actually a request for God to help us to do something. Otherwise, it would say something like, let us hallow your name, and it doesn't say that. We are asking for God to hallow his name. We are asking for our Father to do something only he can do. And throughout Scripture, we see that God does that. That he cares about his name, about his reputation, about being known, and about being set apart. We're saying, God, you do it. And God has resolved to make himself known. So I, I want to just walk through some different examples of God's concern for being known, for his name. And there'll be a number of them. And if you can't keep up, keep up, that's okay. The point here is for you to see his concern. Exodus 34, verse 14. Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And we hear jealousy in pure, purely a negative light. Like, how could God be jealous? But when a father gives his overwhelming an overwhelming amount of attention to his work and his hobbies over his wife and his kids, they are rightfully jealous for his attention. There's an inordinate amount of attention being given to these other things when there are these other things that matter more. 
God created humanity to be in relationship with him, to know him, to enjoy him, to live in this world reflecting his character. And so when we worship anything other than God, we elevate something that isn't actually worthy of worship, and things become distorted. God's jealous for the worship and attention that is rightfully his, that we were actually created to give him. Leviticus 22, verse 32 says, God says, Do not profane my holy name, for I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord who made you holy. He is holy, but he made his people holy. And he says, Don't profane my name. Ezekiel verse 20, uh, chapter 29, verse 25 says, I will be zealous for my holy name. God cares about his name, about his character, his nature, being treated as holy above all other things. Think about probably some of our, our uh, for some of you, your, your favorite psalm, Psalm 23. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The right paths that lead you to be rightly related to God, to others, to yourself, paths that lead to rest, to, to provision, to restoration. He's a faithful guide, and he's going to be consistent with his name. The Lord is my shepherd, and he is a shepherd. He guides. Psalm 25, verse 11 reads, For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. God willingly forgives anyone who turns to him in repentance. He's consistent in his character and his nature about that. Even in the major events of Israel's story in the Old Testament, its redemption, their redemption and their exile are, are motivated by God revealing who he is. In Isaiah 63, we read about God, about Israel's redemption out of slavery. And Isaiah writes, Who sent his glory, glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand? Who divided the waters before them to gain for himself everlasting renown? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in open country, they did not stumble. Like cattle that go down to the plain, they were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. This is how you guided your people to make for yourself a glorious name. God is interested in making himself known, revealing what he is like. Ezekiel 36 speaks of how God was ready to rescue his people out of exile in Babylon. Verse 22 says, Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among all the nations where you've gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. God actually cares about making himself known, revealing what he is like. And through Israel, he does that. Now, some of you may hear this, and you're almost uncomfortable. Like, God, well, why is he doing this? Like, why, why does it seem like it's just about his, him being, getting all of this attention? God wants humanity to know him, to live in relationship. And you cannot know him. You cannot hallow his name. You cannot sanctify him unless you know him. And this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to make the Father known. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He wants the world to know his Father the way he knows his Father. He came to make the Father real. 
that we might know the Father like he knows the Father. In Jesus' prayer on the last night of his life in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, in John 17 we're told, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify you. The Son wants the Father to be known, to be glorified. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And when you jump down to verse 25, he says, Righteous Father, the world does not know you. I know you. And they know that you have sent me. Verse 26 reads, I have made you known to them. And that little E, there's a little footnote there. It can actually be rendered, I have made your name known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself, my, I myself may be in them. This is the concern of Jesus is that the name of a father would be hallowed, would be set apart, and your name be sanctified. And the father does this on the cross. The father glorifies the son, and through Jesus, Jesus glorifies the father on the cross. Jesus makes known the love of the father on the cross. And for this reason, Daryl Johnson will write, Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, because this is what he prays. That is what he lives and dies to see happen on earth as it is in heaven. From first to last and at every point in between, Jesus lives and dies to see the Father's name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name because it's all about the Father being made known in our world, in our city, in our families, in our workplaces, in our classrooms. Now you might hear that and you're like, all right, cool, I get it, Alex. I get what hallowed means now. I get what your name is about. I get that Jesus cares about this. But you said prayer is simple, so how does this work? How do I pray this? Do I just literally say hallowed be your name? Yeah, you could. You can faithfully pray the Lord's Prayer, and the Father loves to answer that prayer. But I want to offer us a couple ways we can enter into this. We don't want to just know the Lord's Prayer. We want to live into it. We want to experience living in that reality of being enveloped in His love. And so two ways we can attempt to do this is, the first one is by use the names of God in prayer. Take the names of God that you read in Scripture and pray them back. I'll give you some examples. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 23. My mom taught me it as a kid. Me and my brothers would repeat the things she said to us incorrectly and then laugh about it, and it became this thing. But over time, that psalm just like implanted itself in my heart. There was a, there's a specific part that always sticks with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Every time I was afraid as a kid, I would come to that. Why? Because the Father is with me there. My shepherd is with me, right? Now, God has made known his character to us as shepherd in that psalm. He's the one who guides his sheep to where he can provide food, rest, healing. He guides you in, a, in the way that leads you to be rightly related to others, to him. He protects you in the dark, scary, lonely places. He is with us. So you can pray, 
Oh, Father, you are our shepherd. Make yourself completely known as the shepherd in my life on earth as it is in heaven. Increase your fame as the shepherd of my life. God has revealed himself as the God of all comfort, we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. That he comes to us in our time of need and, la- and comforts us. And later on, that same comfort we've received, we're able to actually give to others and comfort them as they grieve. Oh, Father, my friends and neighbors are grieving right now. Please make yourself real to them as the God of all comfort. Enhance your fame as the comforter who draws near to the brokenhearted in my neighbor's life like it is in heaven. God is our strong tower and fortress, our ever-present help, our healer, our forgiver. He's a all-consuming fire. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the creator. He is God with us. You can pray any of these names back to him. To those different situations in your life, in the life of your friends that you are aware of, of your family. The second way we can do this is God has made himself known through a number of historical events that we're told of in Scripture. God reveals himself in the Exodus talked about that a little while ago, about Exodus 3, how God says that he sees, he hears, and he cares about the suffering of those who are enslaved in Egypt. And so he comes down and rescues them. Now there are so many things we hear about in our world if you pay attention to the news about what's going on, of people who are suffering, who are enslaved, who are living in oppression. And scripture tells us that God actually hears those cries that he sees it and he cares and so we take what scripture has told us about who God is and we begin to pray that father in our city in our nation around the world there are people gripped under oppression make yourself known as the God who sees our suffering hears our cry and cares Make your name famous as the God who comes down to do something about it. Do it in Ukraine. Do it in Yemen. Do it in Ethiopia, in Myanmar, Afghanistan, in China, in our city. Enhance your reputation as the God who sets captives free. But the greatest event we know of in Scripture is that God actually comes to us in Jesus. That Jesus is God incarnate. God with skin on. Jesus' name means God to the rescue. Yahweh to the rescue. God reveals himself and his heart for humanity in Jesus. In all that he does. And so we can pray the different events of Jesus' life back to God. Jesus hung around with apparently the wrong people and because of it was criticized for it in his ministry. That he would hang around with sinners and would eat with them and that even his own disciples, he would let them do things that apparently you weren't supposed to be doing on, day, on the day of rest. And so he was criticized for it. But for pay, spending all this time with these sinners, he was especially criticized. And so in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 15, Jesus gives these series of parables 
about things that have been lost. It talks about the parable of the lost sheep. How the shepherd goes to look for that one sheep that was missing. It talks about the parable of the lost coin and how you turn your house over to try to find it, how you rejoice when you find it. And then he tells the parable of the lost son, or what most of us know as the prodigal son. And how the father welcomes the son back. He's always looking out, waiting for that son to return. And so we pray that same heart that Jesus reveals to us about God for our city, for our church. O Father in heaven, make real in our city and in our church your love for sinners, for broken people, people who don't fit in. May your reputation among us be the God who welcomes and eats with sinners. Ultimately, we see this revelation of who God is in, on the cross. In Jesus' Jesus's death on purely human terms is this grave injustice. An innocent man is executed on trumped-up charges, and the religious and political leaders of the time are complicit in it. At the same time, Jesus willingly gives himself over to the ones who want to kill him. And it is in this very moment where the nature and the character of God are most clearly revealed and glorified. Tolkien, if you guys are a fan of him, would have called this a catastrophe, Because it looks like at the moment of greatest evil, at the moment where things are actually going horribly wrong, somehow that is turned on its head for something good. Now, if you read Lord of the Rings, this is a sidebar here. When Gollum steals the ring and he's rejoicing right in that um, mountain, Mount Doom, and he falls into the lava and dies and the ring is destroyed, that's a moment of you catastrophe. It looked like everything that everyone had worked for had failed. But a greater moment, what inspires that for Tolkien is the, is the cross. This moment of grave injustice, of evil, of sin. Of God's people failing to receive him. Of, the, of the, the, what's supposed to be the greatest nation at the time, this empire that has this the more civil legal system, completely fails. God's people and all other, all the Gentiles, they fail. They don't recognize God among them. They reject him and kill him. And yet it's in this act moment where he's not a victim. He willingly gives his life over and in so doing becomes a ransom for all of those who are enslaved and blinded. I cannot recognize him. Through this act, many are saved. Through this act, God defeats Satan sin and death and when jesus dies he actually reveals the very character of who god is the self-giving god and he glorifies his father he hallows his father's name and so we can pray our father in heaven take what is meant for evil and destruction by enemy by the enemy by humans and turn it for good you and I are so aware of all the different things in our world where there is evil happening, and it is meant for evil. 
for destruction, for death, and it grieves us. We pray, Lord, we've seen you do it in the cross. We even see you do it back in the Old Testament when Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Would you do it again? Turn this, what was meant for evil, and use it for good. Make yourself known. As the God who renders the efforts of the evil one futile. Make your fame as the God who transforms what other intent, others intended for death and evil and use it for good to bring new life. Oh, Father, make yourself known as the God who gives himself up so that I may have life to the full on earth as it is in heaven. See, by beginning our prayer with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Jesus teaches us that we begin this life with him by allowing God to be who he is. By having him be made known on earth as it is in heaven. It all starts with him. 